what a great invitation to the throne. Uh, I knew when the choir came out this morning, smiling and excited that this was going to be a red letter day of worship. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter six. I have very much enjoyed uh, the stories that I have heard in recent weeks about all of those who are reading the Bible together with us, 100 days through the Bible. And I'm seeing posts on social media. Uh, people are sending texts and emails and phone calls. Uh, I'm running into people in the community who are talking about it. I was in an office the other day and I was trying to think this morning exactly what the event was. I think it was something with one of my kids and uh, the receptionist uh, recognized who I was and said that uh, she knew of several people who were meeting down at uh, Friendly's or or some breakfast place here in town, I can't remember the name of it, and uh, they were talking about their 100 days through the Bible, and uh, she thought that that was so encouraging. In fact, this last week we received a, uh, an anonymous letter in the mail, which is not always a good thing, but it was this time. Uh, it was from one of our TV viewers. It says, uh, I see you on KTRE on Sundays. I am doing the 100 days reading with the church. Praise God for you. Praise God for the church. And uh, even included a financial gift to the church at the same time. And uh, it's just exciting to see some of this, uh, to hear about some of this. It was interesting this last week for a project I'm working on, I uh, read a book uh, by Joanne Young uh, about the Puritan spiritual discipline of conferencing. And I'd never heard of that. I did not know what that was, uh, but I was interested and the book was very interesting. But the book talked about the fact that uh, these Puritans that... Uh, who became really a spiritual force that led to the first great awakening here in America, that revival that swept across the country uh, and uh, impacted Europe in such a, in such a strong spiritual way that, that they attribute, people now attribute much of what they did to this, to this discipline of conferencing. And so as I read about it, it is exactly what many of you are doing. It meant that once a week or so that they were getting together with two or three friends and just talking about their, their joint Bible reading over the last week. And I know I get an opportunity to do that every Tuesday morning with a group of men. And, and I know that many of you are doing that as well, formally or informally. And so we've got a bunch of Puritans in our church in, in the best sense of the word. And I'm just excited to see how the Lord is working. So this last week, if you've been doing the 100 days through the Bible with us, uh, you read from, uh, from the Red Sea, the Israelites on this side of the Red Sea, all the way to their entry into the promised land, Joshua chapter six. And that is an extraordinary story. Much happened in the five days of assigned reading. Uh, but if you know the whole Bible story, you know that much happened that we didn't read uh, this last week. That there was much Bible history that we skipped in order to get all of this into 100 days. And I want to fill you in on some of that this morning as we get into the heart of our message. But let me just address one historical question uh, that you may have that just, I think, deserves an answer. We started the week as we went through the Red Sea 
with Moses leading the people of Israel to the promised land. And God had called Moses to be the one who would lead the people to the promised land. But when we get to Joshua chapter six and they actually enter the promised land, it's not Moses who is leading them, but it's Joshua who is leading them. So how did we transition from God's plan A, Moses, to what eventually happened, Joshua as their leader? Well, on Wednesday, we did read about the death of Moses, but that doesn't really answer the question. God's plan was to use Moses, but when we get there, it's Joshua. Well, that's a very important question. How did we go from Moses to Joshua? And if you were to read back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, you read some of this story where God said to Moses as they're approaching the promised land for the second time, he says, go up on this mountain and he points him to a mountain and he says, from there you will be able to look over into the promised land and on that mountain you will die. You will get to see it and then you will die because you did not honor me as holy before the people a few years ago. And so God forbids Moses from stepping into the promised land because of this, because of this thing that Moses did. And so this afternoon, we're going to take some time and figure out what that thing is. It's an interesting thing, but more importantly, it is a very relevant thing, a pertinent thing for you and I to know because I don't want to miss out on something God wants to do in my life because I'm guilty of the same thing that Moses was guilty of. And so today we're going to have a different schedule. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Did you know that? Some of you knew that. I'm not an NFL football fan, uh, but uh, I know that many of you are. And I know that because last year you didn't come to church on Super Bowl Sunday night. And I know some of our other ministries are doing different things tonight. So I didn't want to cancel, and we may never do this again, but tonight we're going to move the service to 4 o'clock. So 4 o'clock, we're going to come and sing a couple of songs, and then we're going to open our Bibles and find out why it is that God did not let Moses go to the promised land. And I'm very uh, excited about uh, sharing that with you. So with that in mind, let's just continue on. Uh, now they're headed to the promised land. Joshua chapter six is where they go into the promised land. Before we just jump into that account, it's important for you to know that this is not the first time they have attempted to go to the promised land. About 40 years prior to this, they, they also had an opportunity to go to the promised land. In fact, they were in almost the very same spot that we find them in the beginning of the book of Joshua, and God was ready to move them into the promised land, to bless them with this, uh, with this new life. But they failed to go. They failed to go. So when we come to Joshua chapter six, this is not attempt number one, this is attempt number two. And I think to fully understand this attempt to get into the promised land, you need to have some knowledge of what went wrong the first time. So it's in Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 14. We won't take the time to read it this morning, but it's a very interesting story. You may want to read it on your own this week, but I'll give you the, the gist of it. They get right up to the edge of the promised land. They had left the Red Sea. This was probably just two or three weeks later. They went straight toward the promised land. Here they are, they're about to go in and they pause. And they decide that they wanna send some spies, 12 spies 
ahead of them into the promised land to see if the promised land was all that God had said it would be. And so they stop and send these spies. They're stopped for at least six or seven weeks as they wait for these spies to go through the land. Maybe a little longer, we'll talk about that in a moment. And so they wait for these spies to return. And then when they return, they give a report. And it is a divided report. 10 of them say, there's no way we can go into the promised land. It is a wonderful place. It is exactly what God described. But what God left out were the Anakites. There are these strong men in the, in the promised land. There are these fortified cities. There is no way we can go into the promised land. We are like grasshoppers in their eyes. They will smash us. We can't go. But two of the 12 said, yes, we can. Their names, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, we can go into the promised land. In fact, Joshua famously says, if God is pleased with us, we can do it. But, but they were outvoted. And so the people decided, we will not go to the promised land. Now, I don't know what their plan was other than that, because there was nowhere else to go, but we will not go to the promised land. We cannot go because of the obstacles that stand in our way. And so God said, fine. For 40 years, you will wander in the wilderness until all of the men who were deciding age, all of the men who were leaders of their families, until all of those men died, except for Joshua and Caleb. And then, maybe I'll have some people who will trust me, then you can go into the promised land. And so that's where we find ourselves in Joshua chapter six. It is their second attempt to go into the promised land. Now very quickly, let me share with you why they failed the first time. First of all, they failed because they ignored the past. They got to the edge of the promised land and they talked about these fortified cities, they talked about these uh, strong men, warriors in the promised land, and they said we cannot go because it would be too hard. Well, what have they obviously forgotten? Well, just three weeks ago, they were caught between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, the greatest army of the day, and God rescued them in a miraculous way. They, they had forgotten that just a week or two ago they had run out of food and water and God had provided for them in a miraculous way. They had forgotten that a month, two months ago, that they were slaves in Egypt and God had sent these plagues to free them from Egypt. They had forgotten the hand of God. A few fortified cities and a few strong warriors in the promised land were going to be nothing for God to take, to take care of. But they forgot how God had been faithful in the past. And that's what kept them from going forward as they faced this, uh, this obstacle. The second reason they failed is because they valued their own judgment before God's counsel. They stopped to send spies in for the specific reason to see if what God said was true. Is the promised land what God said it was? And can we go in? Regardless of the fact that God said it's a wonderful place and I will make a way for you, they decided that they would investigate it on their own. Now it's always good to collect all the information you have, but we can't collect information so that we can substitute our judgment for God's judgment. 
When it comes right down to it, it doesn't matter how you have added up the numbers. It matters how God has added up the numbers. And if God says go, then go. If God says do, then do. But they substituted their own judgment, their own wisdom, their own calculus for whether or not they could defeat the enemy for what God had said to do. The third thing they did that brought their failure is they delayed their obedience. So they get there right to the edge of the promised land. They've got a lot of momentum. They have basically run from the Red Sea to the promised land. They couldn't wait to get there. And now they decide that at least for six weeks, they're going to take a pause and they're going to wait for these spies. And we don't have time to go over the details, but there's some indication in the Bible that it may not have just been six weeks, 40 days. It may have been uh, months and months and months. And then we're speculating there. We don't know for sure, but at least six weeks, maybe six months, they decide to set camp and just wait. And anytime, listen, church, anytime you delay your obedience, you set yourself up for a situation where you're likely not to be obedient. First of all, obedience is not obedience unless it is immediate, right? If I tell my kids to go clean the kitchen, I don't mean three weeks from now. That's, that's not obedience. I mean, go clean the kitchen. So if it's not immediate obedience, it's not obedience. But, but even beyond that, if God has told you to do something and you wait for six weeks, I'm telling you, you're not going to do it. And they lost all their momentum. They lost all of their conviction. That six weeks plus uh, led to their failure. And then finally, they allowed fear to reign. Uh, they were scared of the Anakites. Anakite comes from a Hebrew word that means uh, no-necked ones. Uh, you know what that means? You know, you've seen these football players that, you know, they just have shoulders that go on up with two eyeballs and a nose. And so that's what, that's what these Anakites must have looked like. They were, you know, muscle-bound warriors. And they were so scared of those people and their fortified cities that they didn't go. They allowed fear uh, to just uh, steal their obedience and their confidence in the Lord. And, and you can see this in some of their exaggeration. When you read Numbers chapter 14, uh, the spies said, uh, the 10 spies who didn't want to go said, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. Well, that was not true. Uh, th th there weren't giants of that scale there, but because they were so fearful, because they didn't trust the Lord, then the fear just destroyed their confidence. And so, so they failed. So now 40 years later, all 10 of those spies have died. All the other men of the same age have died and they come back to the promised land opportunity number two led by Joshua. And that's where we're going to read here. Now this account in Joshua chapter six really serves as a case study for how to be successful in serving the Lord. You want to know how to be successful in serving the Lord and spiritual growth and making an impact in the lives of others? This is a case study. How Joshua and the Israelites were successful here shows us how we can be successful as we serve the Lord in the places that he sends us. And so that's going to be our focus today. But before we get into that, one more uh, interruption here. I, I really want to frame this in the context of something that we're seeking to do as a church in 2019. In 2018, uh, our theme here really was we love our church. 
And we did love on our church and we should have loved on our church. And we took 2018 and because of your generosity and your sacrifice, we raised a ton of money so that we could now renovate our facilities and really put our best foot forward in trying to reach our community for Christ. We love our church and you did. God bless you. You have loved your church in 2018. But now that we come to 2019, I want our rallying cry not to be we love our church, as important as that is, but I want it to be we love our community. Now, we loved our community in 2018 as well, in 17, 16, and 15. I mean, this isn't something that's brand new, uh, but I want us to specifically focus on loving our community with the love of Christ in 2019. I want us to make an impact in our community. I want our community to, to see Jesus lifted high so that he will draw people to him. I want us to see people pray to receive Christ as their savior in larger numbers than we've seen in a long time. I want to see people baptized every single week. I want to see people walking the aisle and announcing that they've given their heart and life to Christ. I want to see children and youth and college students and adults coming to know Christ because we have had a witness in their life. I want our whole focus in 2019 to be we love our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to be so intentional about that that every one of us, every one of us, God is using to make an impact in the lives of the people around them. We're gonna do a ton of things. All of our ministries are on board. Uh, one of the things that uh, Melanie and our children's ministry doing today, uh, giving out these kindness project books, uh, boxes I should say, as uh, Melanie challenges our children to show kindness and the love of Christ uh, to people around them. I'm excited about that. Uh, we're gonna be doing so many things over the next year. You'll be hearing about this almost every single Sunday. We're gonna do service projects. We're we are going to show acts of kindness to people around us. We're going to do some evangelism training. Uh, we're going to have some prayer services in 2019 where we specifically pray for, for lost people uh, to come to know Christ. We're going to do some prayer walks in our community around schools and the university uh, and, th and through neighborhoods as we pray for people to come to know Christ. Uh, we're going to fast and pray this next year. We will challenge you to do that uh, a few times. We're going to have some high attendance days where we encourage you to invite people uh, to our services so that they can hear the gospel. Uh, we're going to challenge you to host some, some people in your homes where you invite some people to come and have dinner with you so you can have uh, deeper relationships with them and you can share with them the gospel or at least invite them to church where they will hear the gospel. Our goal is to see unsaved people saved and unchurched people churched all throughout 2019. I believe God is calling every single one of us to make an impact in some specific people's lives, uh, people that we know, uh, people that we go to school with, that we work with, that we live around, who are in our families and in our friend groups. Uh, God is calling us. Who is your one this year or your two or your three? Who does God want you to make an impact in their life for the gospel this year? And we'll be talking about that throughout the year. Now, the reason I bring that up today is because as we go through this case study for success in Joshua chapter six, as we see them enter the promised land, overcome some obstacles, I want us to think about how this gives us instruction for how we can be successful at impacting and influencing our friends and neighbors for Christ. 
Uh, we're going to talk about it specifically, and I'll show you as we go through. But let's, let's get to the scripture. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. And the Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And while the priests blow the trumpets, when there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear it sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. And then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. And so God gives these instructions to Joshua unusual instructions. Nobody would have guessed that this was going to be God's strategy, uh, but God makes it very clear. Uh, march around the city once a day, six days, seventh day, do it seven times, 13 total laps, and then shout and the walls will fall down and you will have uh, a victory. Look down to verse 12. So Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord. This is um, a piece of furniture uh, that they kept ordinarily at this point in the tabernacle that really represented the presence of God. It was not God, but it represented the presence of God. So take the ark of the Lord and the seven priests carrying seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in front of them and the rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp and they did this for six days. And so they were obedient for six days. Obedient, exactly what God told them to do. Verse 15, early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. Uh, that was the only day they marched around the city seven times. And after the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets. And Joshua said to the troops, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then we skip to the conclusion, verse 20. So the troops shouted. And the trumpet sounded, and when they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. And they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man, woman, both young and old, every ox, sheep, and donkey. Uh, God gave them the victory. So let's notice a few things that brought them success that will bring us success as we serve the Lord. How did they have success being obedient to God? How can we have success being obedient to God specifically as we uh, seek to love our community in 2019? Number one, they were willing to follow God's unusual plan. Now you got to agree this was an unusual plan. March around the city 13 times. Uh, I, I'm sure all of um, Joshua's advisors, his military generals were scratching their head when they got the, those instructions. What do you mean? March around the city. We'll be exposed. They'll be able to count our soldiers. They'll be able to make plans. How in the world will marching around a city uh, bring out, bring anything close to the result that we have hoped to have. We need to you know, lay siege on the city. We need to try to tear down the walls. We need to find a way to sneak in. We need to maybe draw them out and we can, uh, we can ambush them when that happens. But this march around the city for 13 times, this just seems silly. Well, 
It wasn't silly. It was God's plan. And they were obedient to God's plan. And so God showed his power. That's the formula, right? If we will be obedient to what God tells us to do, God will show his power. Now let's talk about some very specific things that they did. First of all, they ignored the impossible. I am certain that there were some naysayers among the Israelites that shook their head and said, no way is this going to work. I don't know what kind of scheme Joshua has come up with, but this certainly didn't come from the Lord because it's nuts. We we march around the city. What are you talking about? That's not going to bring the walls down. Look at these fortified walls. There's no way that those walls are going to fall because we marched around the city and yelled at the wall on the last day. That's impossible. See, there are always people saying it's impossible. And there's always a voice inside of us that says it's impossible. But friends, nothing is impossible that God says is possible. You understand that? Nothing is impossible. Now, when we begin to talk about making an impact in people's lives for Christ in 2019, I'm telling you the lie that you're going to hear in your head between your ears, it's impossible. You're going to think about somebody that lives on your street or that goes to your school or that works in your office or somebody in your family and the Lord's going to put their name on your heart and Satan is going to say, it's impossible for you to have an impact in their lives. They will not come to the Lord. They have no interest in the things of God. They're not going to listen to you no matter what you say. And that lying voice is going to say it's impossible. And the reason often we don't succeed in doing what God has told us to do is simply because we believe the impossible. Or we believe the impossible is impossible. When they came to the promised land the first time, and they got the report from the 12 spies, the pluses and the minuses, what determined whether or not they were successful? Whether they thought that God could do the impossible. See, it was explained to them as impossible, and and there were enough people that said, well, it's impossible, we can't do it, and so they didn't do it. The reason why they're successful in Joshua chapter 6 is because when, when they heard that voice, it's impossible, they said, no, it's not. God can do it. And the reason you will be unable to impact your friends and family members and coworkers and schoolmates with, with the gospel, if you don't, is because you'll listen to that lie that says it's impossible. Uh, We've prayed for them before, Pastor. We've witnessed to them before. They, They will not listen. It's impossible. Friends, it is not impossible. You don't know anybody who couldn't come to know Christ, that couldn't respond if the Holy Spirit stirred their heart, that couldn't reach out for the grace of God. You don't know anybody like that, and neither do I. There are no impossible cases in Nacogdoches. It's possible. And if we're going to be successful, we must uh, not uh, embrace uh, that lie. The the second thing they did to follow God's unusual plan is that they became people of action. Uh, They had had been sitting there and looking across the, the horizon at these walls for some time. And the walls scared them. They didn't know how they would circumvent these fortified walls. And then the word comes that we're going to get in a long line and we're going to dance around the city and we're going to yell at the walls. I mean, crazy command, but it's from the Lord, right? 
And so they had to make a, a decision then. They could either get up and get busy, line up, march around the walls, or they could just sit there. And I imagine there were people who said, you know, if God wants to tear those walls down, he can tear those walls down whenever he wants to. And I'm going to sit right here until he tears the wall down. But had they sat there, they would have never seen God work. They had to get up and do something. And if we're going to see God work, we've got to get up and do something. You know, you know I think sometimes we have these super spiritual sayings that we use to excuse our laziness and our disobedience. And when it comes to evangelism, sometimes we'll say, well, uh, it's God who saves people and it's God who stirs people's heart through the Holy Spirit. And if God wants to stir their hearts, he'll stir their hearts. There's nothing I can do about stirring their hearts. I can't convince them. And so we just sit back and we just We just say, well, God will do it. Well, certainly God will do it. And it is God who stirs their heart. We can't save them. God saves them. God reaches down and convicts them. Certainly, we we would agree on all of that. But sometimes God doesn't work until we work, until, until we're obedient to what God has told us to do. Then we see people come to know the Lord. I was in a Bible conference a bunch of years ago, probably 25, 30 years ago. And uh, it was an Adrian Rogers Bible conference. He had put this together and invited all of these Bible speakers. Some of you will know that name, some will not. Uh, But I remember that one gentleman spoke, uh, uh, I'll think of his name in just a moment. And and he shared uh, about, uh, he was preaching on Romans 8 and Romans 9. And he said that, uh, you know, it's God that stirs in people's hearts and God calls people to salvation. And, and, and the gist of his message after he explained the Bible passage uh, was that uh, we just needed to wait and let God work. We just need to wait and let God work. And I remember when he finished, uh, Dr. Rogers, uh, who was always very careful with his words and always very stately when he spoke, he, he stood up and said, I, I agree with everything my brother said. But one thing I've learned is that the more doors I knock on and the more times I share the gospel, the more times God calls somebody to salvation. And then there's a lot of truth to that. And we can sit back and say, well, listen, God's going to do the work. We just have to wait. But if, if the Israelites would have had that attitude about the wall, then the wall would still be standing today. When you, when you search through the New Testament, you see the attitude that they had. Their attitude for, for the gospel was to be urgent and to be, and to be forward thinking, to be pressing on so that people would come to know Christ. Uh, I, I perhaps have used this illustration before, but imagine, those of you who've been around a while sort of know how churches work will have appreciation for this. Imagine if we took up an offering today and we we counted the offering, uh, which I think happens on Monday mornings. People get together and count the offering. And, and so they count the offering and it added up to zero. Okay. It didn't, doesn't take long to count. You know, they look through all the stuff and there's nothing, no offering. Okay. So we would report that it's in the bulletin, I think every week. And, and so we report to you that the offering for last week was zero. And so then we take up another offering the next week and we count it and it is zero again. And then we do it a third week and it's zero again. Now, what do you think would happen around here? 
You think there'd be some meetings? <laughs> you, th you think there'd be some special called meetings? You think, you think some people would start praying? You think there'd be a little bit of a sense of panic? You think people would wonder what is going on? Absolutely, and there should be, and there would be, and, and we'd all be for that. We gotta get to the bottom of this. Nobody would be saying, well, we've just gotta trust God to lay it on people's hearts to give, and if he, if he moves, people will give, and we just trust the Lord. Nobody would be saying that. We'd say, we gotta get to the bottom of this. But, listen, we will, we will go week after week after week, and out of the several hundred people who attend our church, Nobody will share the gospel with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or a fellow student and we don't have any kind of panic. It's just like, well, we're gonna trust the Lord. No, listen, oftentimes that's just an excuse for laziness. If we're gonna see God work, we gotta get out and march around the city and trust the Lord will bless uh, the efforts that we give. And so they, they follow God's unusual plan by ignoring the impossible, by becoming people of action, and, and also by stepping out of their comfort zone. Uh, marching around the city, that wouldn't have uh, been something that I imagine would have appealed to anybody uh, in that camp. Uh, that was out of their comfort zone. And, and you know though, sometimes if God's gonna use us, we have to get outside our comfort zone. And I think if you look through uh, biblical history, you look through church history, and you look even at the contemporary stories that, that we see today, missionaries and, and uh, missions and endeavors and ministries, you know when God blesses the most? When people do things that aren't easy to do. When people get out of their comfort zone. And these Israelites got out of their comfort zone and God blessed. They didn't just sit back and say, that's just not, I mean, there's some people that have the gift of, of city marching, but it's not me, okay? That's a spiritual gift I don't have, so I'm just gonna sit here in my tent and let somebody else march around the city. No, they didn't say that. They got out of their comfort zone. They didn't say, I don't have that spiritual gift, and God blessed that. And when you see, when you hear, when you hear missionaries tell stories, and they talk about the, the movement of God's power in their, in the, in their ministry. It, it always begins, the story always begins by, well, this is where, where I was comfortable, but God called me over here. And when I got out of my comfort zone, I saw God work. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. I, I'll tell you, um, we all have spiritual gifts. We all have things that, uh, that just come come easy for us, that, that are a joy for us. Uh, I tell you, I uh, don't know that I communicate very well, but I love to preach. Have you picked up on that? Uh, I love to preach. I wish our services were four and a half hours. Somebody was telling me the other day that uh, they did um, some sound work uh, for churches and they would often have to go to um, African-American churches and they would do these sound checks as they engineered these systems. And and he said, you know, their services just go on and on and on and on. And I was thinking, well, how could I get a job at one of those churches? I, <laughs> I, uh, listen, if, if, if you figured out a way to pack 20,000 people in this room, I would not hesitate a moment. I, I love to preach. That is in my wheelhouse. Uh, it's what I have a passion for doing. But to take somebody out to dinner tonight that... Uh, doesn't know the Lord, it's not in church, and to share with them, listen, I, 
I, I just care for you. I love you. And I need to tell you something that's, that's important to me just because I care for you. And to share the gospel with them, let me tell you, I'm outside of my comfort zone. I am uncomfortable. I make other people uncomfortable when I do that. That's just not my thing. But that doesn't mean I get to sit in my tent and tell other people to go march around the wall. No, if God's going to bless, we got to all get out of our tents and march around the city. We've, God works when we get outside our comfort zone. Now, let me share with you the second thing very quickly that they did to find success. Uh, they were persistent. How many times did they march around the wall? It's a trick question. A lot of people get this wrong. Do you know how many times they marched around the wall? 13 times. 13. You have to go back and add it up. One time a day, six days, seven times the seventh day. 13 times. And on the, at the end of the 13th time, God knocked the walls down. What if, let's just play a game of what if. What if they had marched around the wall four times? What do you think would have happened? What if they would have marched eight times? I mean, that's twice four. That seems like a lot. What if they would have marched 12 times? The walls would have remained. They had to persist. I'm sure they got hot or they got cold. I don't know what the weather was. I'm sure they got tired. I'm sure they, uh, they got cranky. You know, the person in front of me is walking too fast or not fast enough or, you know, all you can imagine. Uh, how many more times, mama? How many more times I got to walk around the wall? Um, but they persisted. See, God blesses when we're persistent. And I think the reason oftentimes we fail to have an impact, spiritual impact on the people around us is we just quit one revolution too soon. We, um, we'll say, and when we start talking about specific people we're, we want reach to reach out to this year, I, I know what some, some, will go through some people's minds, it'll probably go through my mind. Well, listen, I, I have shared the gospel with them six times. I have prayed for them for two years. I've invited them to church 14 times. I'm finished. Well, no, listen. We can't stop marching around the wall until the walls come down. We, we, we can't say, well, I've done it 10 times. 10 times, I mean, that seems like a, long, a lot of revolutions around the city of Jericho. Well, it may seem like a lot, but God said, no, 13 times. And I don't know how many times you gotta invite the guy to church. I don't know how many times you've gotta share what Jesus Christ has meant to you. I don't know how many years you need to pray for your husband or your wife, but I'm telling you, we can't stop. God blesses persistence. And they were persistent and God blessed. It's interesting how how the, the things that the Lord uses to describe the Christian life in the New Testament, the, the analogies, the, 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 the illustrations. One of those is planting a field. That one comes up a few times, right, in the New Testament. You know your Bible. You know that that's a repeated analogy. The other one is running a race. That one comes up over and over and over. But there's something interesting about planting a field and running a race. Both of those things are things that have no value until you get to the end, right? So if, if you run a race and you run half the race, what kind of prize do you get for running half the race? Nothing. 
You gotta finish the race. What if, you, what if you're running a marathon, it's 26.2 miles, but you quit at the 25 and a half mile mark? What kind of little, little emblem do they give you for that? Nothing, nothing. I mean, you're just stuck out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you gotta finish the race. What if you're a farmer? And so you go out and you, and, and you till the field and you, and you plant and you do all the things so that this harvest that takes three months is, is, gonna, be, is gonna be fruitful, but at the two and a half mark, you're just fed up with it and you walk away. Well, you don't have anything to show for it. You've gotta finish the task. And when it comes to making a spiritual impact on the people around us, we've gotta be uh, persistent. It's interesting, we call this the battle of Jericho, but there really wasn't much battle, was there? I mean, what was the battle? I mean, God God knocked down the walls, it was over. It wasn't wasn't a battle. You thought about making a movie about the battle of Jericho, there wouldn't be any fight scenes. I mean, it was just, uh, it was just over. I'll tell you what the battle of Jericho was. It was the battle to not quit halfway through the last day. The battle was, was when they said, listen, we've, walked, we've marched around this wall for 10 stinking times and nothing has happened. I quit. That was the battle. And that's the battle you and I face when we're serving the Lord, that we will quit too early. Now, I'm, I'm running way running out of time. And the last one is they trusted the Lord. And I won't speak much on this, but the biggest difference between the first attempt, Numbers 13 and 14, and the second attempt, Judges 6, is the first time they didn't trust God. They've tried to figure out how they could do it, and they couldn't, so they quit. The second time, they still couldn't figure out how they could do it, but they trusted God, and they kept on. Here's what I want us to, here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want you to do. And at least to start this process today. And this will be something that will take the entire year, maybe longer. But I want you to ask the Lord to give you the names of one person or two people or three people, not 10. I don't, I don't know how many, but you don't need 10, but one or two or three, maybe four people that he could use you perhaps to make an impact on their spiritual life in 2019. Now this isn't, I mean, you're not saying that you're going to go and share the four spiritual walls, uh, laws with them before lunch today, but, but Lord, who, who are some people that perhaps you have uniquely qualified me to make an impact in their spiritual life? And, and here's what I want you to do. And I've, and I have done this. I want you to open your Bible to the first white page of your Bible. And I want you just to write their names down. Now, what I did is I'm asking God to give me three names. And you may give me more than that, but I'm asking God to give me three names of people. And it's my hope, it's my prayer that God will allow me, and and it might turn out that one or two of these men are already saved, but um, I, I, I just know there's something needs to happen in their life. And maybe it's that they need to be saved. I'm asking that somehow God would use me in this year to be the catalyst for whatever he wants to do in their lives. And so I only know the names of two. And so I went ahead and wrote one, two, three, I wrote the numbers down, and then I wrote names out by number one and number two. And there are two men there, and I won't call their names of course, but two men there that that many of you know, uh, two men in our community, and I'm just burdened about them. I prayed and I feel like God laid their names on my heart. 
And so I wrote them in my Bible. I'm going to pray for them often. When I pick up my Bible, I'm going to see their names. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God will soften their hearts. I'm going to pray that God will give me the boldness and the courage and, and the words. I'm not real good at this. But God, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to give me some words. I can march around the walls, but I don't know how to tear the walls down. And I'm going to ask that God will give me an opportunity. Before the year's up, I'm going to have these guys over to my house. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll go watch a ball game together or something. I, I'm going to send them some notes. I'm going to let them know I'm praying for them. I'm going to I'm going to work on them. Every, every time God gives me an opportunity this year with these, these two men and hopefully more than that, uh, this isn't because I'm the pastor. This isn't because of my job. Uh, these are men that God's laid on my heart. Just these are, these are my men this year. I want to ask all of you, maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody at school, a neighbor, uh, somebody in business connection. Uh, would you write down some names? or at least write down some numbers. Maybe it's just one, two, three, and you don't know what the names are, but you're saying, God, I'm, I'm asking you to give me three names. So I'm writing one, two, three down, and I'm waiting on you to give me some names. And then would you this, this, this week just pray every day for these, for these men or women? Would you get some friends together? Maybe even after the church, after church today, some of you would huddle up and say, hey, would you, would, would you let's just spend like 30 seconds here. Let's just pray that God will help me to be able to have an impact on these names. I'm not gonna quit before the year's up. I'm not gonna quit, period. Lord, you've given me these names. I'm not gonna quit marching around the wall at, at Revolution 10. I'm gonna trust you. I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I'm not gonna say I've already done it. I'm gonna, I believe you've given me these names and I'm gonna work on this all year long. Would you do that? And I believe if we would, I mean, there are hundreds of us here and in the second service we would see a harvest of people coming to know the Lord like many of us have never seen in our lifetimes. And we'll know that God has used us to tear down some walls that have been standing for a lot of years. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed, I want us to pray together. Father, um, there's nothing more important than for people to receive the forgiveness comes from Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to stand for as a church. We want to love our community, but not just our community as a whole, but we want to love individuals that you've connected us with. And there may be some relationship building we need to do. Certainly there is some praying we need to do. But Father, will you use every single person here? Use them, use me to impact somebody's life for Christ. Father, this could be the most significant year of my life. And for everybody who hears my voice right now, this could be, of all the things you ever do, this could be the most significant year of your life because this is the year that God may use you to lead three close people to you, to Jesus. Wouldn't that make this a red letter year? Father, give us the names And give us the courage and the strength this year to be used of you in their lives. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, but you can write while you sing. Let's, uh, let's write it down before we go and let's sing together.